0: My name is Karan Bhatia, and welcome to Ask the Experts. On this episode, we have some great guests. First up, Keith One Time Thurman. He's fighting Manny Pacquiao on July 20th. We got his thoughts on that fight, on Errol Spence, and a bunch of other things. You don't want to miss our interview with Keith One Time Thurman. And then... We're going to be talking to Sergio Mora. He's a former 154-pound champion, and now he is an announcer for The Zone. He's called some of the biggest fights recently, and we're going to chat with him. After that, it's an interview that you do not want to miss. Tony Superbad Harrison. He went off on Jermell Charlo, who he beat last December. They're going to have a rematch, and Tony Harrison did not have nice things to say about Jermell Charlo. Next, I'll be talking to Mauricio Suleiman. He's the president of the WBC. The WBC just introduced a brand new franchise belt, and it was awarded to Canelo. What exactly is the franchise belt? I asked Mauricio Suleiman that, and he's going to break it down. And then Eric Raskin from the Showtime Boxing Podcast. He's a journalist in boxing, poker, gambling, and we talked about betting and boxing, and why it's interesting right now is Keith Thurman actually bet on himself to win by knockout, yet when Mayweather tried to do that against Conor McGregor, he was denied. We'll talk about that with Eric Raskin. Before we get to our guests, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on in boxing. Canelo Alvarez needs a dance partner. He's most likely going to fight September 14th. There's been tons of names thrown out. First, it was Sergei Kovalev, then it was Golovkin for the trilogy, then it was Jaime Munguia. Than Callum Smith, Demetrius Andrade. It seems like anyone is being considered for Canelo Alvarez. Is it actual opponents? Is it posturing for the Golovkin fight? The latest reports were that The Zone has only approved Kovalev or the Golovkin trilogy for Canelo. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. And we're going to talk to all our guests about that situation. Like I said, today we have Sergio Mora. If you remember the amazing Anthony Joshua versus Andy Ruiz upset, you heard Sergio Mora say in the third round, after Ruiz had been down, he got up, he knocked down Joshua, and there was 40 seconds left in the round, and you heard Sergio Mora say, These are the most most important 40 seconds of Andy Ruiz's career.
1: He has a hurt champion in front of him.
0: It was a great call, and it was almost like Sergio Mora put himself in Ruiz's shoes and was almost giving himself advice, and it turns out that's exactly what was happening. And Sergio tells us about that moment in our interview. Sergio is also going to preview some of the biggest fights coming up in boxing and give us his picks. That includes the rematch of Joshua Ruiz. Pacquiao Thurman, which a lot of people are calling a 50-50 fight. Sergio is going to give us his pick on that. Wilder versus Ortiz in the rematch, Spence versus Porter, and his take on the whole Canelo Alvarez situation and how he sees that playing out. He even answered if he would ever take on Daniel Cormier and what form of combat that would be in. After that, I'll be speaking to Tony Superbad Harrison. He's from Detroit. Like I said, he fought Jermell Charlo last December. It was a very close fight, and it was definitely surprising because Charlo was the favorite. Tony was the underdog, and he won that fight. It was expected that there would be a rematch, and that was supposed to take place recently. But Tony Harrison had an ankle injury, and that fight needed to be postponed. What did that mean? That meant Jermell Charlo fought Jorge Cota, and that was a very one-sided fight. Charlo knocked out Cota with a big one-two in the third round. And Tony Harrison was ringside watching that fight. I asked him what he thought about Jermell Charlo's performance, and he gave us a timetable for when he's going to be back. And he really wants this rematch with Jermell Charlo. He doesn't like Charlo. And the reason for that is when they fought back in December, it was a close fight. And during the post-fight interviews, Charlo went up to uh, Tony Harrison. He took the mic and he said, Harrison said, everyone knows I won. Of called out Harrison there. I asked Harrison about that moment and he went off. He was not happy about that and he gave us his thoughts in a very honest way. After that, Mauricio Suleiman. He is the president of the WBC and they have been in the news recently. For a lot of different reasons. One, like I talked about, the franchise belt was introduced. What is the franchise belt? There are so many belts in boxing, there's four main belts, then there's belts outside of that. There's interim champions, there's super champions, there's regular champions. Do we really need another one? Well Mauricio is going to explain why they introduced the franchise belt and what does it mean. Canelo is awarded the franchise belt, but if he loses, he doesn't necessarily lose that belt. It's an interesting situation, and he is going to break down exactly what that means. The WBC was also in the news because they announced they are going to be drug-testing referees. Why are they drug-testing referees? Mauricio is going to break down why that is. He's also going to break down the WBC's stance on the Olympics, and he gives us his opinion of who he thinks Canelo Alvarez should fight next. Like I said... Canelo has many dance partners, and you're going to get exactly who Mauricio Suleiman wants Canelo to fight next. And my last guest of the podcast, Eric Raskin. He is a boxing journalist, a gambling journalist, and we're going to talk about betting and boxing and what that relationship is and should it be allowed. Keith Thurman bet on himself to win against Pacquiao via knockout within the first three rounds. Floyd Mayweather fought Conor McGregor a few years ago, and he tried to bet $400,000 on himself to win by knockout. He wasn't allowed to do so, and at the time, he was told you can only bet on yourself. That is, if you're a fighter, you can only bet on yourself straight up. You can't specifically say knockout. So why was Keith allowed to do that? That is interesting. In addition, how does betting change the strategy. If you bet on yourself to win in the first few rounds, do you need to disclose that publicly? If you disclose that publicly, does your opponent now know your game plan? What are the rules and regulations? What is the ideal protocol? Should we have full transparency? Should boxers be allowed to bet on themselves at all? That's what we're going to talk to Eric Raskin about. We had a great discussion about that. And you're going to hear, how did Eric Raskin get a concussion playing golf? It's just as hilarious as you can imagine. You don't want to miss that. So without further ado, let's get to our first guest, Keith, one-time Thurman. He's an undefeated welterweight champion. He's fighting Manny Pacquiao on July 20th. My name is Karan Bhatia, and let's ask the experts. This is uh, Karan Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking to Keith, one-time Thurman. He's the undefeated welterweight champion. He's taking on Manny Pacquiao on July 20th. Keith, we know that you've put down some money to uh, knock out Pacquiao early uh, within the first three rounds. My question for you is, let's say you go for the knockout early and you don't get it. What is going to be uh, plan B for Keith Thurman in there against Pacquiao?
1: Well, what people don't understand about the bet is that it's really a win-win, right? Because if I if I knock him out, then at least I solidified my knockout bonus, right? And if I don't knock him out, it still forces me to start the fight off a little strong. And let's see where the fight plays off from there. How well does Manny Pacquiao handle the big shots that I plan on throwing at him early? You know, does he handle, handle them well? Does he come out knowing that I'm placing a bet? Does he come out tentative? Does he come out on his defense automatically? You know, Technically, I've already fucked his game plan up, you know? So, if I don't get the knockout, it's not a big deal. I'm taking a big check home, okay? Uh, But where is the fight going to go from the start of the fight? I want to press the fight. I want to make it a good action fight. And I want to see if Manny Pacquiao can truly handle this Walter Wade power. So, I'm going to test him. I'm going to test myself. And we're going to know the truth really quick in the fight. You shouldn't have to wait to the 6th, 7th, 8th round to kind of get a feel for the fight because we're going to be throwing blows at the start of the bell, just opening round, you know, feel them out just a little bit. And then we're going to take some big shots and we're just going to see if he can handle them. And not if he can handle them, but how he handles them. So, you know, I mean, I'm just interested... And like I said, no one no one produces a KO bonus for for us fighters, so I had to put out my own stakes and make sure if I get the knockout early, somebody's paying up.
0: You've you've created your own knockout bonus. We've seen you do that before against Danny Garcia, nearly knocked him out in the first round. My question was, you know, with with Pacquiao, he's obviously a legend. We know what he's accomplished in this sport. What is your mindset towards him now? is it respectful? Is it Hey, this old guy has been around too long. and It's my job to retire him. What's what's your mental uh, aspect towards Manny Pacquiao right now? Hey, Manny Pacquiao's
1: always been a tremendous fighter, you know. He's I expect to have a tremendous fight against him. Um but you know, I just always believed that my fight style could cause him problems. Ever since I wanted to fight him at the age of twenty four years old. Um I'm a boxer puncher. Um I'm not one dimensional. I have I have the ability to change up my game plan. Manny Pacquiao is more of a one-dimensional guy. He, he uses his footwork to move in and out, and once when he feels comfortable, he lets his hands go in numbers. But, you know, we've seen that over and over again, and the formula's worked many times. Um, I think it's very predictable. Uh, I think my defense is going to shut off his offense, and I also believe that I can counter counter him and uh make him question whether or not he really wants to commit to some of those flurries. So um I'm just I'm just confident in this fight.
0: We'll see what uh we'll see what uh Pacquiao's game plan is. Obviously he's being trained by the great Freddie Roach. I just wanted to get your thoughts on, on one comment Freddie Roach made. He said Sean Porter was our sparring partner for 10 years. That's the best guy Thurman's fought. I'm supposed to be worried about a guy who barely beat our sparring partner. I just wanted to know your response to to Freddie Roach saying that.
1: Well, first off, Sean Porter was his sparring partner before Sean Porter was ever a world champion. And um, I'm pretty sure that when you spar people, regardless of what they want to say, you kind of just give them, you know, you're kind of working with them, you know. Um, And Sean Porter's not Keith Thurman. You know, at the end of the day, they can have whatever opinion that they want. I'm going to show them, uh, come the 20th, who Keith Garman truly is. And, you know, if that's how Freddie wants to look at it, then he's definitely overlooking who I am.
0: And not to overlook the huge challenge on July 20th, it's going to be a mega fight. It's, it's being called a 50-50 fight. But if you are able to get past Pacquiao, you know, a lot of people have talked about other names in the division like Errol Spence has been one that's come up many times. Errol Spence said about you, he said he's been a guy I wanted to fight for a long time. I just think he's a, I think he's corny overall. I think he's a corny individual. That was Errol Spence's words. I just wanted to know if, if you had a response or any thoughts for Errol Spence.
1: I don't really, I don't really give a fuck what he thinks. You know, I mean, he wanted, this everybody wanted this fight. I know every welterweight in the world is jealous that I was the one who was able to bag this fight. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, Errol Spence is still, you know, to me, not entertaining. He's a, he's not that entertaining of a guy. He's not, you know, he's impressive as a boxer. Uh, he, he's a definitely a world champion and one of the best in the welterweight division, but he's not that entertaining, not that exciting to me. Um, I, it's whatever, you know? I know he's wanted to fight for a long time. I've had my ups and downs in my career. If my career went my way, the fight would already uh, have happened because I would have been in a healthy situation.
0: You know, I've worked I've worked with you a little bit on the buildup of this fight, and, and a lot of people are saying, you know, Pacquiao has beaten younger opponents before he beat Matisse and Broner, and I feel like I've heard you say a lot that, hey, just because those guys are young, they're not necessarily comparable to what you're going to bring in the ring. Is that, is that a good way to look at it?
1: Look, I box hard, I box smart, and I believe that I've overcome every challenge that they've ever put in front of me, and this is just another challenge to overcome. It's nothing It's nothing out of the norm when it comes to living
0: the life of Keith one-time-time. Time. I do have to ask you, you know, there was a the video that came out where you were reacting to uh, Pacquiao's, way, uh, Pacquiao's loss to Jeff Horn. A lot of people thought Pacquiao won that fight. Your opinion, you thought Jeff Horn was more aggressive and and he won that fight. I was just curious why that was a a hot-button topic for you to discuss.
1: Because everybody sucks Manny Pacquiao's dick. That's why, you know. They need to understand boxing and understand that he fought that dude in Australia. Australia is not known for scoring, uh, you know, multiple world championship matches throughout a year. And Pacquiao did not give the greatest performance of all time. He was struggling in that fight. He let Jeff Horn look way too good in his hometown, and they raised his hand. It it just wasn't that shocking to me. I scored the fight as a draw. I saw the fight as a draw. I did not see that Manny Pacquiao won. Manny Pacquiao, you know, he just, I just don't think that he won. I don't really think that Jeff Horn won, but watching Jeff Horn's hand get raised was not, a big surprise for me because I think that he worked hard. I think he was the aggressor. And I think in Australia and in other countries in general, they score boxing different than we do. Yes, you need to beat the champion. But in Australia, at his hometown, the way he performed, they felt like Jeff Horn won. And I don't feel like Pacquiao won. You know, I don't feel like he really got beat up. But I definitely didn't see Jeff Horn get beat up. Everyone said, oh, he got beat up in the ninth round. That's, that's one round. Keith Thurman got beat up in the seventh round. That's one round. It doesn't, One round doesn't dictate the fight. I think Jeff Horn opened the fight very well, and I think he closed the fight well after that ninth round. The 10th, 11th, and 12th round, Jeff Horn closed the show very good, and I think that's
0: why Manny Pacquiao lost that fight. We saw You mentioned your last fight against Lopez. Obviously, we all saw the seventh round where Lopez came on. You weathered that storm. I just wanted to know, uh, you know, just to kind of to wrap it up, you've wanted this big fight with Manny Pacquiao since you were 24 years old. You've been calling him out for a long time. It's finally here. It's, it's almost a, a dream realized. I just wanted to know your mindset going into July 20. Is this, is this everything that you've wanted uh, for a long time, to be headlining a big pay-per-view and, and, and get that big opportunity?
1: This is everything that I've wanted uh for a long time. You know, of course, um there was a time where Pacquiao seemed like one of the biggest threats in the welterweight division. It's very hard to say that today. Um he will be he'll get a lot of respect if he was able to defeat me um in in the welterweight division, but for now we still don't know where Pacquiao stands. Um And I know I've had a lot of inactivity, but right before that, I was crowned the number one Walter in the Walter division. So I'm just happy to be living this life, living my dream, having a dream uh, opportunity come true. I'm happy to be performing back at the MGM Grand. It's been many years. I've been fighting in New York, uh, Barclays, Brooklyn, which I love the fans out there. I love, I love how much they respect the fight game. But ultimately, Vegas is another mega fight town. It's a it's an electric atmosphere. And there's no better opponent to have a fight back in Vegas than Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. And, you know, I'm looking forward to making history on July 20th.
0: And I, I know you have to run. I know you're headed to the gym. Last question, why should fans tune in on July 20th? And what is what is your official prediction?
1: this is one of the most exciting fights of the year one of the most exciting matchups in the whole year it's the most exciting fight throughout the summer Um, Manny Pacquiao is a tremendous fighter he has a huge fan base and he's taking on an undefeated Walter champion myself Keith Thurman I mean it's July baby the fireworks aren't over next Saturday here comes some more boom 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 tune in don't
0: miss it Keith Thurman, thank you so much for the time. Best of luck in preparation against Manny Pacquiao. I know I'll be watching. I know everyone at the Boxing World will be watching. Keith Thurman versus Manny Pacquiao July 20th. Keith, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Have a good one. That was Keith one-time Thurman. He is preparing for Manny Pacquiao on July 20th. If he gets by Pacquiao, which is a big if, that's a 50-50 fight, if he does, we know that the calls will start for Thurman versus Spence, and that should also be another really interesting matchup. Moving on, next we have Sergio Mora. He's a commentator for the Zone. He's a former champion himself. Here's my conversation with Sergio Mora. All right, this is uh, Karan Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking to. Sergio Mora. Sergio, you were ringside for one of the biggest upsets of all time, Joshua versus Ruiz. What was it like being there and seeing all the drama unfold ringside?
2: Still digesting it, actually. Uh, when you're there, you know, everything happens so fast that, you know, you're lost for work, for so one, um, and you're trying to choose the right words because <laughs> that's my job. I got a microphone in front of my mouth. But when you're uh, when you're next to Brian Kenny, the legend, and he's just lost for words, saying,
3: "Wow, wow,"
2: you know that's when you you know, wordsmiths lost for words, you have no no idea what to say either. So it was just one of those things that 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 passes, and then you, you digest and realize, "Damn, I was part of history. I was I was part of something just as big, if not bigger than you know Tyson Douglas. depend who depends who you ask." So it was just one of those things, man, where, where in the future I'm going to realize like that's my voice and I was a part of that huge moment. Not only that, but it was a Mexican, you know, first Mexican heavyweight champion and, you know, I'm a Mexican American broadcaster. So I felt a little connection there as well. So it was, it was, um, it was very special for me.
0: Could you feel yourself getting amped up in that, in that third round? Ruiz got up from the knockdown, and there was 40 seconds left, and you said this is the most important 40 seconds of Ruiz's career. Did you, did you feel yourself getting really amped up right there?
2: No, see, what I'm starting to do now, and I'm realizing this is, this is what um, this is what the trick is to uh, being a fight analyst, you vicariously put yourself in the fighter's shoes, and I think that's been working really well for me. So uh, before, I used to just try to uh, mimic the people that are around me and, and, and call fights like they call them. But that's not my position. My position as a fighter, I'm the only one that's been hit in the head, knocked down, won a title, lost a title, been against the ropes, uh, been down, you know, put people down. So uh, I just kind of vicariously put myself in the position of the fighter that we're talking about. In this case, it was Andy Ruiz. So when he got knocked down and he dropped Josh when I seen how – Joshua was and how tired he was. I just basically said something that I would tell myself if you know, I was in that position. This is the most important forty seconds of your life. Go knock this dude out and become a champion. You know. So I yeah, I'm just putting into words what I'm thinking and and feeling.
0: And after the fight, I was talking to people. I said, wow, you know, has there ever been a fight where two guys knocked each other down so quickly, just boom, boom, and we were chatting after the fight, and you reminded me of your first fight with Danny Jacobs. That actually happened in the first round. So did you get a little bit of flashbacks to that moment?
2: Yeah, that's what I'm I'm saying. Look, you gotta put yourself in that position. And if I can go back in time, in retrospect, I would have jumped on Danny Jacobs as soon as I put him down because I know he was hurt. And I didn't get that opportunity again. I let him recover. The bell rang and, and then, you know, I, I hurt my ankle. So, you know, we, we, in hindsight, we're, we're, we're geniuses, right? We, we could do things better. So my regrets of my fights with Danny Jacobs, I took him into the Andy Ruiz fight thinking, is he that this champion go to the corner and recuperate? He's going to fight a more careful fight he's going to fight behind the jab fight like a big man and this is still a close fight both of you guys have put each other down so I just didn't want that to, I didn't want that moment to slip for, for for history and then I just said what I felt and that's do not bet this guy once <laughs> if I really would have said it the way I wanted to I was like, don't let this motherfucker escape and I of course I can't say that but yeah so you know I just basically said this is the, the most important 40 seconds of his career and it came out
0: nicely So I'm going to ask you about some fights coming up. That fight seems to be the best way to start Ruiz versus Joshua 2. Obviously now Ruiz is the three-belt champion. Um, The negotiations are happening. It should be happening later this year. What is your pick on the rematch? Uh,
4: You got to favor,
2: I think, Joshua a little bit again. I mean, he was a a big favor in the first fight up to like 11-1. And it's hard for me to believe that Vegas will go from eleven to one underdog to making the the underdog favorite. I just can't. That's inconceivable for me. So I would think it's a very close two to one type under uh, 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 odds for Joshua, but Joshua is fifty favorite. I just can't see them flipping the coin like that. And I'm just talking about Vegas odds. I'm talking about stuff like that. Hey, if you had a bunch of like uh, people talking in the back. I'm getting a pedicure, so. Yeah
0: that's hey no problem man take care of yourself it's all good no worries if you're hearing
2: a bunch of ladies speak different languages i'm hearing a pedicure <laughs> uh, hey, anyway so uh yeah man I, I just don't see i just don't see it uh uh flipping sides like that
0: cool and confirm for everyone listening sergio morris getting a pedicure that's he's not in some uh somewhere shady with a bunch of women around got it yeah
2: and, many, and a manicure is nice
0: <laughs> Manigur next. Okay, great. Um, so another fifty-fifty fight coming up: Pacquiao versus Thurman. Um, what is your take on that fight? What do you think is going to happen?
2: I would I would edge out Pacquiao if it was five years ago. Um, I would edge out Pacquiao maybe maybe it, even if it was three years ago. But right now, I would have to uh, favor Thurman. Uh, Thurman Thurman has struggled with smaller welterweights. You know, he struggled with also uh, Cepa voltez. Um, and struggle with his uh, past opponents, and and, and with inactivity too. That's the main thing, you know. When you start distracting yourself and and traveling the world, and and you know, you have to balance being a champion and being a family man, and you know, uh, that that that's when you start running into trouble as a professional, you know. Uh, and I think he's gotten close to getting getting beaten, but no one has taken that. So I I, I just think he's learned from that. No one has caught him off guard. He's still undefeated. He's still the champion. And uh, he he knows how to balance both now. So I just think Thurman's very motivated for this fight, fighting a 41-year-old legend. Um, He's much bigger, much stronger, and much smarter, much more mature. So I just think Thurman spots him. I don't think Pacquiao can withstand 12 rounds of the size and the power. I see Pacquiao having flashes of success. I do think it's going to be an exciting fight because I I do think that Pacquiao will land punches against Thurman and he will hurt Thurman. But ultimately, I think Thurman hurts Pacquiao and stops him and I would say eight, nine rounds.
0: And in the same division, there's been talks Errol Spence versus Sean Porter, obviously Thurman. B e. Porter, there's been talks that maybe in the future Thurman could face Spence. What do you make of uh, Errol Spence versus Sean Porter? I
2: I think Errol Spence Jr. is the best welterweight in the world, and I think the only one that that uh, we should be talking about him facing is Terrence uh, uh, Crawford. I just think both two, uh, even though they're they're one weight class apart. If they can figure something out, or Crawford could go up, or they can meet in the middle. That's that's the next mega fight as far as like boxing uh the boxing critics and pound greatness is concerned um that's the fight that everyone wants to see but yeah of course anytime you put sean porter in with any welterweight he's gonna just you know dog him for 12 rounds so would i want to see that fight absolutely but i, I gotta favor favor Spence. Spence. is the best i won
0: 47 we were talking about heavyweights earlier Next year, February of 2020, there's talk that there'll be the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Obviously, that first fight was exciting with Wilder dropping Fury in that last round. Now they may be rematching. There's a little bit of work to do to get there because they both have fights before that. But if that fight come, comes together and they rematch, what is your take on, on that one?
2: Man, I mean, I was there for that first one. <laughs> and what a great fight it was because you don't really you don't realize how big two fighters are if you see them in person they're 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 just they're like dinosaurs so it's two dinosaurs you know walking into a ring now they don't make the big they don't they don't make the ring any bigger just because the guys are six foot seven so that's that's when you realize how these monsters are when you see them fighting their normal 20 by 20 ring and both these enormous you know figures walk in and then it's like wow it's like you know literally it's like Godzilla and King Kong fighting each other, and uh it was just an amazing fight. Because even though Tyson Fury is a six foot seven, you know, heavyweight, he boxes like a light heavyweight. He's light on his feet. He has tremendous defense and head movement. Great hand speed. An amazing ring IQ, and and the guy can pick himself up from the ground and and fight like a warrior. So yeah, everything. And he's charismatic. He sells the fight. So I just think he's become uh, one of the top three big big names in the heavyweight division. And uh, I would have to favor Fury in the second fight. I thought he was outboxing Wilder nicely in the first one up until so he got stopped. I mean, that rocked and then almost stopped. But I'll favor Fury in the second fight. I think he was outboxing him and nicely. And I, I, know, I think I don't know what to do in the second time around.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what adjustments each guy is able to make especially after that that 12th round. The last kind of big piece of, of what's coming together this fall on the zone. Canelo may fight Sergei Kovalev, he may fight Triple G, he may fight Jaime Munguia. So, how do you think that whole situation is going to is going to shake out? Who do you think is going to end up fighting who and, and how are those fights going to go down?
2: Well, our hate I would hate to think that the the trilogy is not going to happen this year. And even though it looks like that's not going to be the case, because next year, no matter how early, um, the fight happens, I mean, the is going to be 38 years old and Canel's is going to be 28 years old. That's a 10 year difference. And it's a huge difference once you reach those, uh, you know, mid thirties. I mean, I've been there literally overnight You just change. And uh, against the rules, even though you did have a sensational knockout, the in, they show signs of aging and you know his, his reaction wasn't the same counters wasn't the same and he got hit with punches that he shouldn't have been hit by a guy named Steve so I would hope that fight happens in trojan and I think someone gets stopped guaranteed someone gets stopped they just know each other too well and you know when you give you know these guys that amount of money and that amount of control and over their career then they can make the decisions they want so Ultimately, if it doesn't happen this year, it'll be a disappointment. But if it doesn't, I would love to see Galovkin fight Munguia and Canelo fight uh, Kovalev and get another world title or another weight division.
0: And do you think that would be tough for, for Canelo to go up in weight to light heavy and take on Kovalev?
2: You know, if you look at the numbers and you look at the beast that Kovalev is,
0: yeah, you would. But then you break
2: down the numbers, Kovalev is in his late 30s. He's been knocked out already by a smaller fighter in Andre Ward. He has been hurt to the body. He got knocked out uh by um what's a light heavyweight uh guy that knocked him out.
0: That was uh Eladir Alvarez.
2: Alvarez, there we go. You know, and Alvarez a tremendous fighter. A yeah. <laughs> tremendous fighter. So um I just think he's been stopped before and that's what Canelo and his team see. He's been stopped twice by smaller men, even though
0: Alvarez is a light heavyweight, he's still
2: smaller than Cobble um, so yeah, I just think they see signs of aging and, and um, susceptibilities and that's why they're taking that fight.
0: Well, thanks a lot for breaking down all these fights. I know you didn't want to talk too much about your career, so I'm just going to ask one question. I saw on Instagram, you posted your, your ring record and you crossed out the 29 and said 30. Is there a chance that, that we could see you going for, for win number 30?
2: You know, why I don't like, you know, why I didn't want to talk about anything uh, dealing with my career it's just simply because, you know, my last fight was last year. And that was against uh Perro Angulo. But since that fight I've been just non stop, you know, uh, being a commentator. So it's, it's I can't cheat the profession, man. I, I you know, I, I can't cheat. I can't do what Bo Jackson did. I can't do both, man. I can only do one. So if I get a time between schedules where I can dedicate, you know, uh six months to my craft and and really take it seriously, then I, I will say, Yeah, you know when to talk about my career. Here's a, here's what's what's uh what can possibly happen here here's what i would love to happen here's what i'm talking to here's what i'm doing but right now i'm not doing none of the above now i'm concentrating on is being the best analyst i can be and that's why i don't want to talk about it but ultimately i'm not retired and if something comes along the way and i have time to train properly then absolutely I'm, i'm back in the mix but other than that i got one foot out the door and one on a Banana pill
0: <laughs> <laughs> So safe to say You're happy right now In, in what you're doing If l- it, One more if, if Daniel Cormier Comes talking for a mega fight Would you make that happen?
2: <laughs> uh, Daniel Cormier uh, Is the US Heavyweight champion And I'm a Middleweight boxing champion No that's not gonna happen But if Cormier wants to uh, If Cormier wants to do battle In some other other way Yeah why not Maybe, maybe, maybe we can play chess Or something <laughs>
0: You could do that on pay-per-view, man. I would watch it. Or actually, no, sorry. That would be streaming on The Zone. (laughs) Sergio, thank you so much uh, for the time. I really appreciate it. I I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule and and, and giving us your thoughts on these upcoming fights. and, And I hope to talk to you again soon, my man. You got it. That was Sergio Mora breaking down upcoming fights. You may have wondered why Daniel Cormier, the UFC champion, why his name came up there at the end. Well, Sergio was calling a Canelo fight, and Daniel Cormier did not like the commentary. He thought it was biased, and Cormier posted that on Twitter. Sergio responded on Twitter, and he said, Sorry you thought I suck, champ. I think your striking sucks. Let me work with you so Johnny Bones, John Jones, doesn't kick your ass for a third straight time. So it sounds like Sergio is uh, willing to... Help out Cormier with his striking. Not willing to fight him in the ring, but a chess match is possible. Moving on, next, we have an explosive interview with Tony Superbad Harrison. Tony did not hold back. Let's hear from Tony Harrison. All righty. This is uh, Karen Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking to Tony Harrison. Tony, we saw you ringside for uh Jermel charlo in his recent fight against coda what were What were your impressions sitting ringside
3: um i mean uh you know what uh Jermel did what he was supposed to do man i think um i think every i think on my end I think uh he always fights good against people you know who just sit there not too athletic um they're just wants to sit there and bang anybody that has any kind of lateral movement or skill set, you know, he does bad again. So I thought he did good. You know, I think uh I had a lot of people there on my end. Um that bought tickets, uh, you know, like bought tickets from but, from, from, you know, for me to fight who was who was still pleased. You know, um the average guy, the average fan just wanna see a knockout man he you know, he pleased uh his fan and
0: my there, there are some people on social media. They said, "Hey, Tony's Ringside. Why didn't he get in the ring? I mean, your foot was in a boot, right? You were, you're injured. So, so right. how's the uh, the injury doing? Can you give us an update?"
3: Oh man, everything, every, everything is good, man. Um, uh, I'm out the boot. Um, you know, uh, you know, my whole life I've been working off faith, man. I've been working, I've been working and doing everything off faith. So, uh, um, I, I end up. Uh, I ended up just working our faith, man and just just having my belief and, and not you know, my belief was just not to go through with the surgery. And uh I didn't do it and um you know, I think I think it's gonna become a point where, you know, um I'm back just as healthy as I was when I left. And um not, 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 that's that's just my big thing. Um uh, no surgery, uh back rehab rehabbing it, um strengthening it right now with with my brother and you know, we are just taking it step by step day by day right now.
0: Yeah, I spent some time with you in uh, Detroit, and, and you were with your community. I know that you uh, mentor young kids. You teach them boxing. How important is it for you to get back healthy uh, for the young kids that look up for you, for your community, and, and get that rematch with uh,
3: Jermell Charlo? That's. I mean, to be honest, that's my only goal. That's the only thing I care about. Is is um, you know what I, I told? I talked to you know I told myself and and, and talked to you know talk talk to God and just told him you know. Even if I'm not healthy enough to do another fight, I'm just bless me with 100% to do this one. And, um, you know, whatever happens after that, you know, I'm okay with. You know, but uh, I'm just blessing me to be 100% for this one. And um, for sure, you know, like I said, whatever else happens. For me, it happens. But, you know, that's all I want to do is be 100% for this fight. And I want to beat this boy so bad. You know, so I, I, I don't think he understands that. There's nothing else in the world that I, that I want to do but fight him, you know.
0: And you had that first fight with him, which you won. It was in December of 2018. It was a close fight. Um, was he easier to handle than you expected? And also, uh, what happened post-fight? You know, he said that you came up to him and said everyone knew that, that he won. I'm guessing that that wasn't true. Take us to what happened in that first fight. Um, I
3: think the, um fight, I mean, like I said, I wanted, you know, before I got to try to fight with Jamil, I wanted to fight him four years before I even fought him. You know, I just, I just understand why, who I think I match up with. I always matched up good with the guys who were more sharper than everybody else. You know, everybody who's textbook, you know, skill set was textbook straight out of the book, um, try to knock me out. You know, those kind, those kind of guys were the guys that I always matched up good against. He's a smaller guy, smaller in height. Uh, same kind of frame, so I always matched up good with those kind of guys. So I wanted to fight him four years before I fought him. I got the I got the fight. I hundred percent knew I was going to win the fight. You know, as soon as he, as soon as uh, Allen up called me and asked me, I said, yeah, on the phone." I didn't talk to my team. Uh, I, I immediately gave him the answer, and um, I was just, ple- I, you know what, man? For me, man, to be to have the opportunity to fight for a second world title, I was pleased with everything. I was pleased with. His, you know, with his decision to say, "Yeah, I take I take a dangerous fight," even though the, the build up between him and her was the, was was the fight that everybody talked about. You know, um, I think I, you know I just thanked him, man, I, and I was I was I was grateful. You know, and I told him, you know, even before I'm, I'm grateful for, I'm grateful for the opportunity for him to even take the fight and 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 not you know not not um not not take an easier fight or 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 maybe or, or a fight with anybody else. So I was I was pleased with the decision, man, and. and like I said, everything was cool. I, you know, And like I said, this is not my first time even fighting on the car with, with Jameel. I fought on the car with him in Houston. You know what I mean? And um, yeah, everything was cool. Eh? Actually, I never had like, no beats or nothing with him. Uh, but, uh, you know, times changed, man. And post-fight, I came up to him and said, you know, good fight. You know, I appreciated the opportunity. Uh, it, was, it was cool to dance with him. You know, and if, if he wanted to do it again, we could do it again. You know, um and he was, you know, like I said, uh, the you know, you you seen the look on him and his team's face, man, they were all distraught. They were all, you know, praying praying that the that 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 the decision went their way. And, and then, you know, that you see the look on me and my team. I'm walking away and I'm and I'm head bobbing I'm nodding and I'm like, Oh yeah, these scorecards are going just the way I you know, just where I think 'cause I know for sure the scorecard, you know, it wasn't a split decision and the scorecards were the word, word, the word, word, what they were. I knew he didn't win, you know what I mean? Because he didn't do nothing. He, he didn't hit me with no none of the shots he started hit me with. You know, he didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, he, you know, he looked for that one big shot and it, it and I, I just knew that the scorecard was on my way and once they said it, I, I was pleased and he got on the mic and did what a whole-ass nigga do and told about some. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, you know, you know he, he remind me of a nigga from the hood when you take his chick. And he be like, oh yeah, this. And then now he start throwing shade on you. Like, come on, we was just cool before I got this chick. You know what I'm saying? But now I got this chick. You, you, you throwing salt on my name on them shoes that he wearing is mine. You know what I'm saying? Like he do whole shit. That kind of whole ass shit that he took with you. You know what I'm saying? Because it wasn't even. It was all cool, it was all fine and dandy. Then he got got the line and saying in front of the national and in front of the world. He said, I said he won. Come on, man. I ain't, I'm from Detroit. but I ain't gonna ever in my life, even if I'm down on my last, but never say I'm I'm, I'm defeated ever. And that must have bothered you, right, when he said that on national TV? Oh, man, it, man, it like it crushed my it crushed my heart because that's what people in the hood, that's whole ass niggas do. You know what I'm saying? But but like I said, you know, you know, sometimes when you get out of the hood for so long, you know, you don't understand that 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 your morals and your character is just start is it's deteriorating, and his shit is deteriorated. You know what I mean? Because he did that. You know, I'm mean? like, who does that? You know what I'm saying? Like real men would have just shook up and said, you know what? Uh, you know, the decision was the decision. You know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to a And Like I said, I was a man about everything. I even told him in oh, oh, front of the world, like, look, you gave me a shot, my nigga, I'll give you a shot right back. That's what real niggas do. He got on the thing, like, oh, yeah, you know I won. He said, I'm like, what? Damn, you can't even be gentleman to the whole ass niggas no more. So really, I, I really, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, as much of a gentleman I tried to be. He he took my he took he took my kindness for weakness, so I couldn't even give him the respect due as a champion and say, "Look, as a champion, my as a champion for me now, I give you the same respect you gave me, and I give you a rematch." Even though rematches don't even happen in the day and age of boxing anymore, they, they don't even I want we don't even know what such thing as a rematch is no more. But I told him on national TV I would give it to him, and he's still shitting on me on my name. He, he 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 tried to he tried to fuck up my character in front of the world, man. And I don't like that. I never let nobody fuck up my character.
0: And you showed a lot of heart. You were the underdog in that fight. You came in, and, and you showed a lot of heart, and you won that fight. He said afterwards, he said, uh, you know, I had court dates I was facing. This is Jermell Charlo. He said, I, I have court dates I was facing. I was facing prison sentences. Um, Now my mind is clear. So do you think when you hear something like that, is that, was he kind of trying to make excuses for what happened there in December? Well, my thing is, but if,
3: if that was an excuse, make that the excuse. You know what I mean? Don't, don't shit on my character because I just – because I trained hard and I won a fight that I, that I thought I would win. And I went in there. We all are like gladiators. So I, I took the fight that I thought we would take. And, and and I won. So don't shit on my character because you have some shit going through. Every Listen to me, man. Everybody as fighters got something they score that's going on. We all got our little knickknack injuries. We all got something that's probably bothering us during camp. We never have, like, a fresh camp. Like, everybody has something that's bothering us. And if something is bothering you that much, pull out of the fight. That's what I just did. When well, something's bothering you that much. I mean I, I think like I said, I think where I changed so much where people don't understand like it's it's is 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 winner to is winner or or, or is win or lose it all. You know what I'm saying? So so for me I'm just like I'm not losing it all. But like I said, that's an excuse. He had that he had that court date when he fought fucking trial. You know what I'm saying? He had that same case that he was facing they talking about man, he had that same court case when he fought trial. And he beat trial. No excuses, no nothing. So I'm saying don't lose and then say, oh, I had a court case. And, nigga, you you caught that case man. You, before you fought before you, a trial. Come on, man. Everybody got to do the history on this shit. Stop letting this nigga just talk, and Everybody listening to what he's saying.
0: So safe to say all of this is going to add even more bad blood for the rematch. What is the status uh, for the rematch? Obviously, you're rehabbing from your injury. How is that going? And, and when do you think we're going to see this rematch? Man, listen to me.
3: I swear to God, I told Al and them. You know, if I could have it my way, he would have pulled out a fight when I pulled out, and we could have got it going. You know, maybe sometime like maybe like this, like September. You know, I would have been like late September. I would have been back healthy. You know, it's probably gonna take me like another three weeks to kind of get my ankle. I can't run on it or nothing yet, but it probably take me like another three weeks to get it back strong enough where I can run on it. But you know, you know, do that he just fought. You know, I'm, I'm. It's really. I'm really waiting on his timeline. Everything is off his timeline, now, you know, because I like I said, I, I fought last December. It's gonna be. You know, like nine months right now, or something like that. So, really, everything is on his time since he just fought. It, well, you know, when went out, went went out, and the management and promotions want to get him back on the scene since the semen that like he just fought. But really, I'm after three weeks after my rehab, I'm all fresh and I'm 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 back into it. I'm back the I'm back into whatever you know whenever whenever out kills me to to get ready and be healthy. I'll be healthy.
0: So we'll see what Charlo says, but Tony Harrison is ready to fight this fall.
3: I'm ready to fight fall
1: for, for sure.
0: And just to close it off, you know, before we talked, uh, before you had the fight, you we spoke in Brooklyn, and you said there was a lot of social media haters and trolls, and you used that to fuel you. I'm sure you've experienced that now after winning even more so. So, how has that been, and how have you used that to to fuel you? I mean, you know, it like I said,
3: it just shows how much of the world, you know, like I said, this this in this game, you know, it it, it shows how much of the world like you can't please you can't please everybody. You know what I mean, and, and and but it just showed me that I I know I did something right when this many people was on my shit talking crazy. I know I did something right. I know I know I know for sure I did everything right because his people were so mad. Like everybody that loved Charla, everybody that loved that Lions on everybody that loved that that brand that 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 that, that personality, everything about him. Everybody was sick. Everybody was on my stuff. I sat there was laughing and damn man, I swear to God I tried to reply to everybody. I try to reply to every single hater and tell them boys, like, look, put up again. Like, y'all y'all got a problem with anything, come pull up. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I, I, rep- I try to reply to everybody, like, yeah, y'all mad, y'all suckers, y'all boys is mad, y'all haters. You know what I'm saying? So I try to reply to everybody, like, look, I'm not hiding behind my mic. You know what I'm saying? You got something to say, say it. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm going to respond back. I'm from Detroit. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to respond back. I try to respond to everybody, too. And they sick, they mad. And the thing about this fight that just happened, I love that he just knocked this guy out. I love it because now the world thinks, oh, yeah, this guy's back. Oh, yeah, yeah, Conor's back. He's back knocking everybody out. Oh, yeah, he's back. The case is over. So look, 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 no excuses. Because I'm not coming with no excuses and the blood is is all the way. The river is full of blood. Ain't nowhere else to swim between his team and my team. Everybody, Everybody hates each other. We hate them. They hate us. Even me just going into the fight. Yeah, uh, you know, just wanna just want to see how he would do. I went out there, man, we I I, I didn't have word with everybody on his side. So I know I know the blood is real. You know what I'm mean? saying? The blood not only between me and him as fighters, but we didn't linger on to let the energy transfer to his team and my team. And I and I and now that makes for that makes for that makes for Duke and North Carolina. You know what I mean? That that's how I like it. I like I, I like every hostile environment, man. I, I was born in a hostile environment and I like everything about it. So this time around, no
0: excuses, and it sounds like you're going to do your talking to these haters in the ring. Final question, when that rematch happens, hopefully this fall, Harrison versus Charlo, what is your prediction? Is it going to be another decision? Uh, Are you going for to the me, knockout? This is,
3: put this right here right now. I promise you this. I'm going to knock him out. But give it, I'm going to tell you this right now. I can't be knocked out because I swear to God, I, I want to please everybody. I'm going to please everybody. And, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm going to take the the If I get knocked out, cool. But guess what? Motherfucker, I'm trying to kill you because I don't like you. I don't like him. I don't like him. This is, my, this is the opportunity to say, look, I'm not out because That's why Tony Huggins is coming to knock you out. Somebody ain't going to last. Put that. Ain't you no know, somebody. Somebody got to go.
0: Period. Well said, Tony Harrison. Best of luck in recovery. We hope to see you back in the ring. Hopefully this fall. With the rematch with uh, Jermell Charlo, I'm sure you're going to be representing Detroit and looking to make a statement once again. Tony, thank you so much for the time. Anytime. Tony Harrison unfiltered, giving us his thoughts on Jermell Charlo. Doesn't seem to like him very much. Interesting to note, Tony is predicting, or I should say guaranteeing, a knockout this time around. He doesn't want it to go to the judges' scorecards. All right, next up, Mauricio Suleiman. He is the president of the WBC. The WBC has been in the news lately for adding a franchise belt, and Mauricio is going to explain exactly what that is. This is Karen Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am lucky enough to be joined by Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the World Boxing Council, also known as the WBC. Mauricio, first of all, thank you for joining me. And, you know, the WBC has been in the news recently recently. Uh, Obviously, the introduction of the franchise belt—it was uh, announced—and there was mixed reactions. Some fans said uh, there's already too many belts; um, it can be rather confusing. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts and have you explain what is the, the franchise belt and, and what does the WBC hope to achieve with it.
4: Thank you very much. Yes, uh, it is obvious that, uh, not, that human nature is to have resistance to change. And nowadays, with the social media and with the news coming so fast, it is so easy to misinterpret uh, things when they come out. Uh, the franchise is not a new belt. It is not a new championship. The franchise champion is a designation that provides a fire of an elite, uh, quality of, of uh, proven, a specific facts uh, a situation within the WBC. So, for everyone who thought this is a new championship or a new belt, uh, they can be assured that it is not. Fernando Alvarez uh, has been uh, associated with the WBC for 12 years, three division champion, has been, uh, uh, he's actually the highest paid athlete in the world, and the intentions that he has with a very important contract that he has to honor is to give the fans the best fight in his future years. He's also fighting in different divisions, in multiple divisions. So the WRC has been studying this phenomena in recent years, of those fighters who define an era, like Ali, like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard, like Talaoia, like Floyd Mayweather, and today, Canelo Alvarez, who is the representative of boxing. This designation is aimed to develop and keep growing the boxing industry and not uh, confuse and and disrupt the uh, industry and that division, or both divisions, and those fighters who can have fights in middleweight, super middleweight, and even light heavyweight.
0: Right, and and you know the, the the outcry from fans came about when it was announced. How would you respond to naysayers who would say? you know, there's already so many belts. The the WBA, for example, has the super champion and the regular champion. Um, there's there's other organizations outside of the four main ones. Um, how would you respond to a naysayer who would say to you, well, hey, this is diluting the product um, in a way because there's so many champions and it's hard for someone who maybe casually follows the sport to know exactly who is the best in, in the division. What would you say to them?
4: I, I respond that they are absolutely correct that, There is so much confusion with so many titles, so many championships, so many designations, and they are right. I can only uh, be accountable and respond for the WBC. The WBC is the true world organization. And unfortunately, uh, the news come out only when there's something that is negative or there is something that is controversial. But the WBC has activity in 166 countries of the world. And I am very proud and stand for The WBC is the Mohamed Ali, the Roberto Duran, the Sugar Ray Leonard, the Chavez, the Tyson, the Mayweather, the Pacquiao. So I understand the frustration from the fans. I invite everybody to make an evaluation of the champions that are out there and truly see who the WNT champions are, and they will understand the quality against the quantity. What has been done with the franchise, once again, what I'm trying to get to is to give the opportunity for the great fight to happen instead of having to apply a rule that applies to a normal uh, situation in which you have to mandate a mandatory fight every twelve months they champion is not then they have to lose and vacate the title. Um Canel undoubtedly is of a uh, different stature right, right now and uh, there's a franchise designation which explains exactly what it is. It is non transferable. It is uh seven points that uh he was put in the in the press release, but I will be very happy to respond to any question or recommendations or suggestions. And one more thing. The franchise, whatever fees uh, come from franchise, will be 100% dedicated to the clean boxing program, the weight management program, and the WBC CARES social responsibility programs. So this is not about money. This is about having the possibility of the premier boxer with Canelo Alvarez give the fans the fight they want to see.
0: Right, absolutely. And just to be clear, Canelo is the franchise uh, champion at middleweight. Um, if Canelo loses, like you said, it's a little bit different than the previous WBC belt. If he loses, he remains franchise champion. I just wanted to ask how that'll work, you know, how long would he remain franchise champion if, if if he lost consecutively, if he lost a few times, would a determ- determination be made and someone else maybe awarded the franchise champion at that point? How would that work? Because that, that is obviously a little bit different than the way that the WBC belt was before. It was someone was a champion. If someone beat them, that person became the champion. And this is a little bit different. So I just wanted to to have you uh, explain, explain that difference. Yes. Uh,
4: every time... Uh, Cadello fight, there will be a process of the opponents and the selection. The WBC will be involved, and once it is determined who is the opponent and in which division, then we will establish what is going to be uh, precisely uh, for that specific fight. So if he fights, let's say he's going to fight I would say, let's say Callum Smith in the super middleweight division, or if he fights Kovalev in the light heavyweight, then he can fight above his current middleweight uh, championship. So we will address what's going to happen, what title, what he's going to be representing the WBC when he goes into the ring. If he fights in middleweight, then it's a different uh, scenario. It's, It's a division where he's competing. The franchise championship, you not win in the ring. It's a designation. But we will have a specific uh, position for the specific fights once they're announced
0: let's you know I wanted to ask you about all the the, the work that the WBC is doing to make the sport safer there was news that that came out uh, recently that the WBC is now going to be drug testing um, referees judges other people involved in the sport I, I was just curious where uh, you know where that decision came from and then also what else is the WBC doing to make the sport safer we, we had this situation um, a few weeks back um, where uh, Jermell Trullo, uh was fighting Coda and Jay Nady allowed Coda to continue in a situation where it seemed like he may not be ready to continue and there was a call maybe for younger referees I was just wondering if, if the WBC has, has any thoughts on, on mandating you know an age limit or, or some kind of protocol for situations like that as well
4: Okay, uh, first regarding the drug testing, uh, as you may know, we have the Clean Boxing Program. Uh, it's a program which has been working for the last three years. We have VADA, which is the best testing agency in the world. The thorough, uh, investigation and the process that it goes to the highest levels of protection. Uh, we, we instituted that for boxers, for fighters. Uh, we're going to start with female boxers, with women boxing, in September. And in the last WBC Board Governor meeting, we uh, decided to also have a protocol to randomly test ring officials. Simply because the ring officials who are affiliated to the WBC, they have the norm that they understand that they cannot work under the influence of alcohol or recreational drugs. If you work at Coca-Cola or you work at uh, a network, you have a contract that you sign and you agree to certain terms. For the WBC, it is absolutely unacceptable that a ring official could be working if he's uh, under the influence of drugs or alcohol so this is i have no uh i have never seen an official uh working while while intoxicated and it should not be any concern to anybody. This just gives transparency and gives reassurance that we are doing things to maintain the sport as fair and as safe as possible um regarding the which one your question i'm sorry uh,
0: about you know uh referees and if if there needs to be an age maximum and 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 just if any there, there's any protocols in that in that respect
4: yeah it, it is it is a highly sensitive uh, topic because it depends on each individual uh and to determine by age would be and could be uh discrimination uh there are Writer who can write up, you know, when you lose your mind and you're not ready to continue being a writer, maybe at 60, or you can have someone to continue to be a great uh, journalist at 80, 85, 90. Same goes to a referee and a judge. House of refereed when he was 83 years old and did a sensational job. Um, regarding the specific example of J. Navy, in that night, there were two fights, and it was the perfect contract. You had uh Teja fighting Rigondeaux. Teja is ahead on the three scorecards. In the eighth round, suffers a knockdown. At the end of the round, he gets stopped. He gets to the count of eight when the two-minute and 59-second mark and the referee stops the fight. Then you have the next fight with j uh officiating Charles against Cotta. Uh Cota goes down in a very strong punch, gets up, and he has his blood holding a rope and his other hand holding his, uh, his body, and he says he wants to continue. So, The referee is the only one that inside that ring can look in the eye and he's the only one that can see things. The WBC policy is it is better to stop a fight one punch before than one punch later. Uh, Many people criticize uh, the referee, Russell Mora, for stopping the fight of Ceja when he was ahead of the scorecard and he was knocked down, he got up, and he was way off. And many people have criticized Jay Mady for letting the fight go. So in the same card, you see two perfectly examples of a, of a contradiction. So I give, uh, or better said, the policy gives the benefit of the doubt to the official who is inside the ring.
0: I just wanted to know your position and the WBC's position on the recent news with the Olympics. The IOC has, is no longer going to work with AIBA, AIBA. Um, I just wanted uh, to get your, your thoughts and, and the WBC's position on, on Olympic boxing.
4: The WBC for 12 years made a public outrage about what AIBA was doing. We, my father. Directly communicated with the president or the chairman of the IOC, Rode, and then with the current president back in uh, multiple occasions, uh, outlining the problems that were evident in amateur boxing. And uh, now uh, the IOC has expelled or uh, put away Aiva uh, one year before the Olympics, so there's good news, there's bad news. Good news, there will be boxing in Tokyo 2020. Good news is that the AIDA uh miss handling of, of boxing, in amateur boxing, now is recognized and it will be addressed. Uh, the bad news is that, that there's uncertainty on how things are going to be run for the qualifications and during the Olympic Games. But one thing I can tell you, Nothing can be worse than what it was. Amateur boxing has to go back to basics. We want to see the future champions coming from the Olympics, just like uh, Muhammad Ali, Joe Fraser, George Foreman, Sugar Ray Leonard, Oscar de la Hoya. Those were the heroes who were made through the Olympic process. And that's what boxing needs. We don't need professionals. We don't need... Uh, uh, great professional champions going into the Olympics and fighting against kids. If it's tennis, you can see Nadal and Federer, but you can see that in Roland Garros or the US Open. But to see that in the, in the Olympic Games, it's only for commercial and for TV ratings and for money. But you cannot play boxing. You cannot put a, a tough current champion against a kid, that is very dangerous. So our recommendation is to have and go back to basics, create a great amateur program and give the opportunities for kids to, to conquer the, the life of, of winning an Olympic medal. And then they turn professional. Amateur and professional boxing are completely different.
0: Certainly, you you cannot play boxing. You can play other sports. You cannot play boxing, and I think we'd all like to see the Olympics be that uh, that showcase for younger fighters. And then when they become professional, uh, you know they have whatever medal, and that helps promote them in their careers and makes them more exciting. I think we we would all like to see that. I know you're very busy, so I'm just going to ask you one last question here. Canelo is your franchise champion. There's been so many rumors, the Golovkin trilogy. Uh, if he would fight Sergei Kovalev next, Callum Smith. Uh, Demetrius Andrade's name was made. Uh, Jaime Munguia was was, uh, was mentioned as a possible opponent. Who would you like to see Canelo Alvarez fight next?
4: Well, it's, it's a difficult question because even though I am the president of the WBC and I, am, uh, I have a position, I am also a fan. But I can tell you, any of these names that you have given uh, are interesting fights. Because they have elements, different elements that give it uh, a great uh, interest to the public. And just having this controversy or this interest on who's going to be the next opponent ratifies that the franchise tag is something that will change and that will give the best fight for those specific champions. If Triple G is the one what a tremendous fight because it's a trilogy. If it's Callum Smith, it's a great fight. He looked great in his last fight with a great knockout and he's a solid super middleweight. If it's coverless, it's an unbelievable risk of going two weight divisions up and testing his uh, his limits. Just as Mikey Garcia went up to welterweight against Spence. So there's a lot of drama just by thinking of that fight. And uh, Munguia is an up-and-coming Mexican uh, star. And when you have two Mexicans inside the ring, you can never know what could be. It's almost certain that a classic fight is going to happen. So whoever comes out to be the opponent in September for Canelo, I am certain that it's going to be a sensational event and that uh, it's going to be very good for the public and for the boxing industry.
0: And and as a fan, is there one... They're all great matchups. As a fan, is there one specific one you'd like to see next more than others?
4: You know, I... I, I believe Gennady Golovkin deserves the third fight. I believe uh, Kovalev deserves... Uh, or Canelo deserves the opportunity to try his... Uh, He's lucky if he wants to go all the way to the light heavyweight. And uh, Munguia, the styles of Munguia and Canelo would make such a great, great fight. I would say either, either of those three would be a tremendous fight for September.
0: Mauricio Suleiman, the president of the WBC. I know you're a very busy man. Thank you so much for giving me the time for coming on the Ask the Experts podcast and, and chatting with me about everything that's going on in boxing. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the to the WBC. Thank you so much.
4: Thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to, to make public so uh, many things that are not known to the, to the fans.
0: All right, that was Mauricio Solomon of the WBC going over a wide variety of issues. Most importantly, the franchise belt. He explained exactly what that is and gave it some context. And our last guest today on the Ask the Experts podcast, Eric Raskin. He's a boxing journalist. He's a gambling journalist. And we had a great discussion about boxing and betting. This is Karen Bhatia for the Ask the Experts podcast. I am speaking to Eric Raskin. He's the managing editor, media director for usbets.com. He hosts a great podcast for Showtime Boxing. Um, and Eric, you know, I was, I was doing some research on you, and, and it said on your, your bio there that you once got a concussion playing golf. So that's, that's borderline impressive. So before we even <laughs> get started, I just need to understand how that happened.
5: Yeah, it, uh, it definitely separates me from some of the people that I cover. The the toughness of the boxers as covered by a guy who once got a concussion playing golf. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, my second and thankfully so far uh, last concussion uh, back when I was, I think, about 19. First time I was playing a full round of golf and uh, we were in a golf cart that seemed to go a little faster than they're supposed to. And we were trying to squeeze three people into a uh, two person golf cart. And I had the seat on the end, made a sharp left turn and I went flying out of the cart and uh, landed sort of uh, on the, on the back of my head and um, didn't realize initially that I was concussed. it actually allows me to relate to a lot of the boxers. Like when Mike Tyson in the first fight with Holyfield uh, said afterwards, he doesn't remember anything from this, from like the second or third round on, I sort of get that. Like I was, operating on instinct for a while, but after the fact sort of realized, uh, wow, I need to get to a hospital. Something is not right.
0: That's really interesting. I just heard an interview with Ben Askren, who just got uh, knocked out in in UFC uh, by a flying knee. And that was, uh, I think it took about five seconds to knock him out. And we saw him in the cage after walking around talking to people. And he said he didn't remember anything that happened until he got to the hotel room. That's when his, his memory kind of came back.
5: Yeah, you 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 sort of have that little period of just faking your way through it and acting like, oh, I'm okay. Uh, you're you're going on instinct, and then uh, you know, I, I think I I think I sat out a couple of holes. Like told the other guys I was with, uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm feeling a little shaken up. Let just give me a few minutes. And it was you know, ten fifteen minutes later that I finally said S- something's not right. I can't remember how we got here, how I, how I got out here on the golf course, maybe we should uh, go to the hospital. So uh, yeah, that now it's obviously a whole different level of, of uh, operating on instinct when you're actually in the ring with someone swinging punches at your head and you're managing to get through that for another 15 minutes or so, but.
0: slightly different than uh, riding a golf cart. So <laughs> yes. uh, I wanted to chat with you. You wrote a great article for us It said, it was the, the title was, should boxers be allowed to bet on themselves? And I and I think it brings up a really interesting discussion. So before we talk about it, I just wanted to know if you could just give us a little bit about the history of, of betting and boxing. You know, I, I feel like when you, when you think of boxing and in, in the old times in boxing, you imagine like some mob boss with smoking a cigar in the first row, watching a fight, you know? Um, and, and you, you wrote a lot about why boxing is actually specifically um, more vulnerable to if, if that's the right word for betting in a, in a good way or a bad way. And I just wanted to, to get your thoughts on that.
5: Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say it's, it's theoretically always been one of the most corruptible fixable sports, uh, fixable in the bad way, not fixable in terms of uh, uh, getting something right, but just being able to fix an outcome because you only have two people in the ring and, You know, we've seen a lot of controversies with tennis uh, alleged match fixing Um, that has the same concept of one on one. If one person wants to tank it, they pretty easily can, although they still have to be able to control the little yellow ball in boxing. You really if one guy wants to tank it and take a dive it's incredibly easy. We get get one punch that looks halfway decent and find a soft spot on the canvas. So that's what separates boxing from almost any other sport is you really just need one person in on the fix. Now I say theoretically, because I think the perception is much worse than the reality that the casual fan assumes boxing matches are fixed all the time, when in reality, it almost never happens today. That this, uh, But it, it's more that... Um, that possibility that makes betting on boxing a little more dangerous and calls into question the idea of boxers being able to bet on themselves. Uh, specifically, the the example that I uh, was building the article around was Keith Thurman, who claims to have recently and uh, claims that he will soon be, again, betting on himself to win by a knockout in a specific early round. And so that could influence the way he fights. And there's just a lot of uh, gray area there, I think, uh, with regard to, um, you know, sort of morals and the integrity of of the competition and and all that sort of stuff.
0: Right. The, the reason that this is all uh, being brought up to the light right now is because we have Manny Pacquiao versus Keith Thurman's coming up on July 20th. People have called it a 50-50 fight. Um, The first thing that came out was Freddie Roach, who is Pacquiao's trainer. He said, quote, I haven't made a bet in a long time, but the odds makers have brought me back. I'm going to make a huge score betting on Manny this fight. Manny loves beating undefeated fighters. So that's that's interesting of itself. And then Keith Thurman was on TMZ and he said, hey, I'm betting 10,000 per round for the first three rounds. So... That, is, that opens up a can of worms in many ways, um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on on why that may or may not be okay because, first of all, Keith Thurman's saying he's going for the knockout early. Um, does he have to publicly disclose that information? I mean, a TMZ reporter caught up with him, but what if a TMZ reporter hadn't caught up with him?
5: Right. It, it, that's that's the one of the interesting wrinkles is it feels like uh, – This sort of thing should absolutely be disclosed publicly because um, if some people know it, but many people don't, then, you know, the odds could be skewed in a certain way. Uh, It's it's really I didn't even realize till I was researching this story that um, that Floyd Mayweather, who's famous for betting on himself, um, had a bet rejected when he was fighting conor mcgregor he wanted to bet on himself to win by knockout and they wouldn't allow that and they said our rules are that you can bet on yourself but you have to bet on yourself straight up um so that calls into question whether thurman's bets are being placed at some offshore sports book probably rather than in a legal regulated casino here in the united United states because they might not stand for that so it's just uh you know on paper in theory you hear boxer wants to bet on himself and you think that should be fine. He just believes in himself. Uh, he's getting, putting his money where his mouth is and that's fine. But it's, I guess when you start to get into some specific scenarios within that, uh, it, it gets tricky and and it could influence, you know, as I wrote in the article, knowing that he's betting on himself early, that actually opens up to me, the option of betting on pacquiao to stop him in the middle rounds because maybe he goes for the knockout and punches himself out but that's information that i have that maybe not everyone has if uh, or that if he hadn't spoken to tmz some people near Thurman would know this, uh, about the way he's planning to fight and 99.9% of the people betting on the fight wouldn't. So it, it just, yeah, it opens up this whole can of worms. And, um, you know, I, I, also, uh, referenced Pete Rose in the article that I remember long ago thinking, well, as long as he wasn't betting against the reds, what's the harm. Um, but as people have pointed out any, if you, if he bets on the Reds some days, but not other days, then every time he doesn't bet on the Reds, he could theoretically be tanking to make the Reds worse uh, to improve their odds for the days when he does bet on them. So it just uh, that, that even so that even makes you wonder about a boxer betting on himself straight up if you're if you that, uh, for in the Sturman example, he struggled his last fight against Jose Cito Lopez. Is it possible? He doesn't bet on that fight and makes himself look worse so that he can get better odds on himself next time. It is, uh, there are a lot of gray areas with, when it comes to any athletes, uh, betting on the competitions
0: in which they're participating. Certainly. And I think, I think that's, that's the whole issue in this. Like you said, uh, in the article. Andy Ruiz uh, said he was so confident that his family members bet money on him to win before his fight with uh, Joshua, and they all made um, close to $10,000. That right. seems okay. But he- here's the other question. You mentioned Floyd Mayweather. Floyd Mayweather likes to bet on himself. And, and according to um, sources, when he tried to bet in Nevada, they said uh, you can't bet on the knockout, but you can bet on yourself. Yeah. There was an SI report that then said he just gave money to his friend and his friend was able to bet $87,000 instead of the original $400,000 that he wanted to bet. I'm not sure uh why the money uh difference was the way it was, but that was what was reported. It was it was also interesting that in the TMZ interview, if you listen closely, Keith Thurman says, "I'm going to bet on my I'm going to bet $10,000 on the knockout if not me, my friend." So, right. he said that very kind of in a in a subtle way. So, Let's say we we told um fighters, hey, they can't you can't bet on yourself. What would stop them from handing uh, a, a bag full of money to their friend and saying, Hey, go to the sports book and, and place this bet on me?
5: Yeah, unfortunately nothing. Um it's 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 a way around it that uh and you know, people bet with through through proxies all the time. And it there there really is nothing to stop that. Um And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of whether the sports books are going to limit the bets in certain instances, whether they know that the person is associated with the athlete or not. You know, when that that example you referenced of a Mayweather friend getting uh, a smaller bet down. Whenever a, a a better comes in with the duffel bag full of cash and wants to place a big bet, the guy at the desk has to, you know, take it upstairs, run it up the ladder, see how much, how large a bet they're willing to accept at that moment, and they'll usually do some research on do we know this guy, what's his history, that sort of thing. So it may have been that even if Mayweather was going to bet directly on himself, they were going to limit the amount and not allow him to put down the whole 400 K, even if he was betting straight up on himself. So that's kind of a case by case basis, but certainly the, the general idea of if you want to bet on yourself, just get a friend to do it for you. That's, that's out there. And I don't think there's anything that, uh, that anyone can really do to stop it. And part of the
0: situation that makes it so much more complicated and you touched upon it is that let's say a fighter is betting on himself, but he's not betting on himself every time. Mm -hmm. Um, so for example, you brought up the Lopez fight. Now, I don't think anyone reasonably thinks that uh, Thurman wanted that seventh round against Jose Cito Lopez earlier this year where he got clocked with a left hand and then followed up by many, many, many right hands and snapped his neck back. I don't think anyone thinks he did that on purpose, but what if he didn't bet on himself on that fight to say, hey, maybe I won't have my best performance and that'll help me when I bet on my next fight, which could <laughs> be against Manny Pacquiao or... or whoever else that that's also um another whole can of worms that 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 we kind of have to uh to deal with about if fighters are going to bet on themselves do they then have to do it every time and if they're not betting on themselves in a certain fight then what is that what message are as we as fans getting oh wait he bet on himself last fight but he's not betting on himself on this fight
5: right yeah i mean i think boxers do intentionally underperform sometimes not for betting purposes, but for attracting opponent purposes. I think we saw that a few times with Gennady Golovkin when he was at that uh, phase in his career where he just couldn't seem to get the fights he wanted. And so against a, uh, you know, a Willie Monroe jr, he's standing there taking punches for uh, at certain points in the fight, just trying to look a little bit vulnerable. Um, and so there might've been some of that going on with Thurman against Lopez. Um, but again, it's a, uh, it's a lot of just, we don't really suspect that he's trying to move the odds, but it's the fact that in theory he could, and we are seeing that effect with the pacquiao fight uh thurman opened up as the favorite but the money has been coming in on pacquiao to the point that thurman is now uh the underdog i'm looking at one particular uh legal online sports book in new jersey that has pacquiao currently a minus 155 favorite and thurman a plus 110 underdog so if that was his diabolical plan which i'm not saying it was and i don't think it was but if it was it worked. He he looked bad enough against Josecito Lopez that he could now bet on himself against Manny Pacquiao and get plus money.
0: The, The other part of it is we say as reasonable observers of the sport, we say there's no reason that a fighter would probably bet against themselves, whether that be by their own bet, obviously, or through a proxy. But there are certain scenarios where a rematch may actually yield that fighter more money. I'm just thinking of an example. If, if McGregor somehow beat Mayweather, I mean, could you imagine how big that rematch would be? Right. right. And so if you're a fighter like a Floyd Mayweather, I'm not saying he, he at all would have ever done this, but let's say you said, Hey, I'm at, towards the end of my career. Uh, I have this fight coming up. Everyone thinks I'm going to win. I'm going to bet against myself in the first one so that I can come back in the second one and make a huge amount of money. So, There is the opportunity also for fighters to maybe even bet against themselves, and that would be um, obviously a a really bad look for the sport and and for gambling and, and sports betting in general.
5: Yeah, I mean, fortunately, at these higher levels, these guys are making so much money per fight. I mean, especially Mayweather. Like, the, what amount could he possibly bet against himself that makes it worth it in a fight where he's seeing, you know, tens of millions of dollars, maybe over a $100 million? Uh, it, it just it, it doesn't add up, and that's why a lot of the people, the sort of casual fans who will look at a fight and say somebody took a dive, at any sort of mid to high level, it just doesn't make sense to – uh, to damage your own career in that way, in that way that the, the, the purses these guys are receiving are high enough. Now at the lower levels where these guys are making a few hundred bucks or a few thousand bucks a fight, if somebody, uh, can, you know, some, uh, theoretical mobster type gets in their ear and says, Hey, you go down in the fourth, uh, here's X, X thousand dollars to do it. And, uh, you know, that that's where you can, it it makes a little more sense that you can more realistically see it, but yeah, the whole, it's just one of those uh, common conspiracy theory things that I don't think ever actually happens. This idea of, you know, you see a guy get upset in a big fight and the uh, the conspiracy theorists are out saying, oh, he he threw it on purpose because he wants more money for the rematch or, or whatever it might be. I don't think that that sort of thing ever actually happens. But again, it's it's all falls under this umbrella of. Could nefarious things happen by allowing these fighters to bet on themselves? Could it open the door for things that at least look a little suspicious?
0: So to kind of close it out in your article, uh, you you summed it up and you told us all the issues of why this is a gray area. And I think we've, we've discussed that as well. For me, in terms of finding a solution, it seems like it's it's one of two things. And that is number one is fighters just cannot bet on themselves. It's not allowed. And if they're caught doing that through a proxy or someone else, um, there's actually like, you know, repercussions. There's, there's penalties for that more than just a fine. There's some penalty that maybe they can't fight again for X number of time. Or the other road is fighters are allowed to bet on themselves. Um, and that information has to be publicly disclosed and there has to be some forum of of how that is done uh, through proper channels it has to be publicly disclosed so those look like the kind of the two uh, forks in the road for me uh, is that do you agree to that and, and if so which one do you think should be adopted
5: I think that makes sense it's just a question of whether either one is really police-able. Um you know that sort of if uh, if a fighter um, you know if, if fighters aren't allowed to bet, on their own fights at all. And, uh, you know, can we police the, the use of proxies and where do we draw the line? Uh, You know, again, with the Andy Ruiz example of, uh, you know, his family members betting on him, uh, how, you know, does that count as Andy Ruiz betting on himself? If it's based on information that came directly from Andy Ruiz, even if it's not his money or how do we know it's not his money? Um, it, it, gets really difficult to police that. so I would lean of the two options toward s- some sort of rule that fighters must disclose any bets that they make on themselves. Uh, the question again though is is how do we enforce that how do we um, you know if if a fighter is betting on himself through legal regulated sports books, you know we, it's very easy to have those Nevada books reporting on it. but so many of these, Uh, So many people still will use unregulated offshore sports books or uh, their their neighborhood bookie or whatever it might be. And there's just there's no accountability. There's no reporting there. So I just don't know how you can enforce that. There can be sort of an honor system sort of thing that we are uh, the the commission say, if you bet on yourself, you must disclose it. But I just don't know um, how we can how how fans could really be certain that fighters are disclosing every bet they've made
0: right so it so it seems like we may just be kind of in this gray area and, and feeling it out so last question with the information we know like we said we know freddie roach is betting on his fighter Pacquiao. he hasn't bet in a while and he and i thought it was interesting that he said uh he likes to bet on many versus undefeated opponents it's almost saying Uh, Thurman had those really razor thin fights against Sean Porter and Danny Garcia. Therefore he's undefeated, but is he really undefeated? So maybe (laughs) this is a good spot. We know Thurman is betting on a knockout within the first three rounds. Um, it was also interesting. Brian Campbell reported that Thurman had actually bet that he was going to knock out Danny Garcia in the first round. And he really went for it in that first round of their fight. Um, if you go back and watch it, Thurman landed a big one too. A huge right hand that that kind of twisted Garcia's body and and luckily for Garcia he has kind of an immortal chin he was able to take it but had it been someone else we don't know that's going to obviously leave Thurman open when he takes on Pacquiao right he's going to go for the knockout so what is your pick on on July 20th knowing this information
5: yeah I'm not sure whether to whether to factor this in or how much to factor this in I will say that I don't believe for one second that Keith Thurman by early knockout is a realistic outcome. Obviously, anything can happen when you're throwing punches, but uh, Manny Pacquiao's track record of uh, being a good, solid defensive fighter, having all this experience and having a really good chin. I mean, he's basically been knocked out one time this entire century. Uh, you know, I, I and that was by a fighter in Juan Manuel Marquez who I consider to be a significantly better fighter than Keith Thurman. Uh so I, I the fact that Thurman says he's betting on himself by early knockout, I'm not chasing that bet and, and saying, Oh yeah, that, that is more likely just because he's going to go for it more. Uh, as I said earlier, I think there's some logic to taking Pacquiao by knockout that if Thurman is going for it, he opens himself up that more and or might punch himself out. Um, more than anything though, looking at this fight, I kind of just want to see which way the odds are moving. Cause I view it as a very 50, 50 ish fight. And, uh, i I haven't personally placed a bet on it yet. Um, I don't think I would bet on either guy if favored, but if one of them becomes a big enough underdog, if Thurman moves from the current plus one ten to as much as plus one fifty or something where I'm getting a hundred fifty dollars in return for a hundred dollars that I bet, that starts to look like a good bet to me. So this is just a really interesting fight where almost reg- regardless, of what bets the fighters or their trainers may or may not be placing. I just look at it as a fight where the odds will probably dictate what the smart bet ends up being.
0: And just to wrap it up, the odds of, uh, You getting another concussion on a golf cart. What are are
5: the odds on that? (laughs) Well, I have uh, back issues that I've developed in my, uh, in my older age that uh, more or less prevent me from golfing anymore. So it's, it's an extreme long shot. uh, And obviously with my experience, uh, I would never be the uh, person sitting uh, with one butt cheek over the rail of the golf cart, hanging out as we take a sharp turn. I've learned my lesson. So yeah, don't, don't bet on that happening again.
0: (laughs) Eric, Eric Raskin, managing editor, media director, usbets.com, uh, on the Showtime podcast, the boxing podcast with Kieran Mulvaney. Thank you so much for the time. It's it's a really interesting time in boxing. It's a really interesting time in sports betting. I think as states' regulations start to shift and change, as online starts to shift and change, I think it's going to make it even more interesting, and I'm glad that we're having the discussion. Eric, thank you so much for the time. Absolutely. My pleasure, Kieran. And that brings us to the end of the Ask the Experts podcast for this episode. Thank you to my guests, Keith Thurman, Sergio Mora, Tony Harrison, Mauricio Suleiman, Eric Raskin. And if you like what we're doing, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow us on Spotify, on YouTube, anywhere where you listen to your podcasts. If you enjoy the show, I want to hear from you get in touch with me on Twitter. The Twitter handle for this show is A-T-E underscore podcast. One more time on Twitter, it's at A-T-E underscore podcast. You can also follow my personal Instagram and Twitter handles at at Karan Bhatia, at C-U-R-R-A-N-B-H-A-T-I-A. And if you want to email us, it's asktheexpertspod.com at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening. This is Karin Bhatia signing off for the Ask the Experts podcast.